0: Thank you so much for coming tonight. We've got a good crowd. We've had good crowds every time we've assembled, and we appreciate it. We don't know how far you came, how much gas you burned, or trouble you went through, but boy, i to tell you, you sure are helping us. The singing tonight, and the prayer was prayed by Brother Dale. I appreciate so much, everybody, what you're doing. You're helping me. I don't care whether you're old or young. You're teaching me that God is important. And singing these songs, I tell people when I was in school, played sports, and we'd get out on the football field and... Sometimes be taking a terrible beating on the football field and we'd kind of be getting discouraged and we'd hear the crowd begin to chant something. And that would run over the field. We'd hear it echoing in our helmet and in our ear and it would get us stirred up and we'd move and get excited within and we'd change the momentum of the game. Well, I'll tell you, we're cheering each other on, singing about heaven, where we're going and what God has done for us. And we know we can't make it without Him. And so if you're here tonight you've never obeyed the gospel, I'll tell you, I hope you'll think about that. We don't want anybody to sit in this building and hear the gospel over and over and end up coming to the end of the way and losing your soul because you couldn't see the simplicity of the gospel. It's very simple to see if you just let your eyes be open and soften your heart to what God has to say. And if not, if you're here, if never obeyed the gospel, there's water here, we'll be glad to hear your confession. If you're willing to change your will and do the will of God, repent and be a different kind of a person. And be baptized, so your sins can be washed away, I tell you. We'll all be excited, and all the angels in heaven will rejoice. And really, that's what we're hoping for. So if you're sitting here, and you're sitting on the edge of the kingdom tonight, we want you to come in. The Lord wants you to come. He's trying to call you. He's pulling on you, like Jesus said in John 6, 44 and 45, by the teaching of these words that are His words of the gospel. And So we hope it'll have some impact on you. I want you to turn to the third chapter of the gospel, of first, uh, first piece of the third chapter tonight. And listen to what Peter says now. He's talking to us about what we said already. We backed up and notice how he talks about submission in verse 13 of the second chapter. And said that we must submit to governments and it doesn't matter what the government might be. We're told to submit to the government. It may be difficult. It may be hard. It may be challenging whether they're good or not. Servants are told. If you have a master, it doesn't matter whether he's good or bad. You need to submit. What is the problem of submission? We don't like that. We like to stand up for ourselves and, and we like to have our when we're right, we want to be proven to be right, and we don't want anybody to shove us around, take our place, or push us around. We're just not willing to rank ourselves under somebody else, and no matter how they treat us, and we said last night, we saw Jesus in the Isaiah the fifty chapter and verse six, giving his back to those who were beating him. He he had prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. He went away three times. You know, he had taken the cup at the table and drank that cup of the fruit of the vine with the disciples and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. He drank that cup knowing he was going to the cross. But there was another cup Jesus had to drink. That was the cup of the wrath of God that he wanted to pass away, but it could not go away unless he drank of it and went to the cross. So he submitted himself even when everything was upside down and against him, he still did what the Father's will was. And so we see that in this chapter, in verse 22, where we, or verse 21 and 22, where he, he's our example. We should walk in his steps. And so he tells us that servants must be that way to their master. Whether your master's good or not, that's what you must do. Submit yourself. This is a universal principle. It's a principle that's not easy for us. We've noted already, as we looked in the New Testament, there are passages where we're told to submit ourselves to one another. In the fifth chapter, verse 5, we find there younger, is supposed to submit to the older, uh, submit to the elders that are among you. And so over and over, we see these principles about all of us. All of us submit ourselves to one another. We should always look at other people and not think of ourselves that we're building a totem pole, and I'm trying to get up to the top of it, and I want to be able to look down on everybody else. I always tell folks that I look down on people like that, I can no longer see you because I got bifocals on. I got to keep my nose down so I can see people. And I got to remember I'm not above anybody. And I need to try my best to take whatever, whatever value I've got and use it to lift everybody else up and to strengthen and to help them. And so here, Peter's going to talk now about another arena where we find this same problem about somebody learning the value of submission. Listen to what's said in verse 1 of the third chapter. Likewise, so as we've already seen, These principles about submitting in situations that are difficult and challenging. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation or the behavior of the wife. Now notice what God is telling wives here. Here's a woman, now we don't know how she got in this situation. Was she not a Christian, married to some man, she became a Christian. We don't know how she got in the situation she's in. But she's married to a man that has not obeyed the Word of God, and he doesn't seem to have any interest in it. So now what should this woman do? There was a lady that lived in Madison several years, and I was—I I, tried—I worked for her husband for a while and first moved there. I tried to get him. He started coming to church, and I started talking to him some. And uh, I kept talking to him, and he kept coming. And, and I noticed he just had some resistance about obeying the gospel. And so uh, I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I said, Mary, what in the world? I said, Harry, seemed like he, he comes, he's interested, and he seemed like he enjoys what's going on, but something's holding him back. And she said, well, Gary, I just can't keep my mouth shut. She said, I, I, when Sunday morning if he gets up, if he acts like he's not going to come, I start nagging at him and start fussing at him and trying to get him to come. And so he gets aggravated and so we get in the car we're in a fuss and sometimes he'll, he'll come, sometimes he doesn't want to come. And so she said, I just can't keep my mouth shut. And she said, when I want something, I just nag and nag and nag after him. I said, She said, I want to convert my husband. I said, Mary, I do too. She said, what can we do? I said, we're going to team up together. And I said, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to get around him. I'm going to have studies with him and talk to him about God all the time when I'm around him. And I said, I want you to do one thing. She said, what's that? I want you to hush up and live it. She said, what? I said, hush up and live it. I said, stop running your mouth. Shut your mouth and live what you believe. I said, if you do that, I'm confident. Harry, will. you know what this next verse says? She said, I've done some of that and he never pays any mind. I said, look at what the Bible says, Mary, in verse two. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So I said, the Bible says if you do what God says, now you might think it's not doing any good. And she said, well, I go along for a while and I do it and it doesn't do any good. I said, well, what do you do? She said, I stop and go back to mow away. I said, we're not going to win that away. And so you know what happened as time went on. She kept going on and on. She never could seem to get control of her mouth. And so as time went on, you know what happened? He ended up leading her away from the church. That's what happened. And so what we need to see here, if women would come to realize where is the most powerful influence you can have in the world on a man, you can just live before him. Live right before him, whatever is right, and I don't care if he's a believer or if he is a, or an unbeliever. It doesn't make any difference. You might say, well, I'm a Christian, my husband's a Christian, but he doesn't seem to treat me the way I should, and I don't feel like I'm getting treated right. And so I have to say something, I've got to tell him and complain to him about all these things, so he'll treat me right, let me tell you. You will not get what you want by nagging. It won't work that way. If you will close your mouth and live what you believe and show your fear and respect for God, let me tell you, the Bible says you do that and you will find out that's what will win a man. Men know and they see what we all see. We know it from the very beginning back in the book of Genesis when we find what happened in the Garden of Eden when Eve took the lead and what happened happened there. And so as the result is uh, she was told that she would have to submit to her husband. That was a challenge for her. That was going to be a challenge, you see. Same phrase is used of Cain when he did what was wrong. He said, if you don't get control of this, the devil's, Satan's sin's crouching at the door, and it's going to pounce on you. You've got to get control of yourself. If you don't sin, we'll get a hold of you. And so we've got to see here the picture of God telling ladies what you've got to do is you've got to close your mouth and live right. Do what God says. That's the hardest thing, I think, for a lady to do. I hope that doesn't seem like I'm being rude. But I think that sometimes that's a challenge for ladies. And so the Bible is showing us here, if you want to do something to win your husband, if you want to help your husband, if you want to influence your husband, the most powerful thing you can do is show him a godly example. You live the right kind of life. You be that kind of a person. And you'll find out that is the thing that will pull on the, tug on the strings of the heart of that stubborn man who may not even want to obey the gospel. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. Now, if you can trust in that, ladies, and if you say, well, we've got some problems in our marriage and we're trying to work them out. And, uh, and most often I notice that what people do is they always point the finger at the other person. The lady says, well, he doesn't, he's not honoring me, he's not treating me right. And so sometimes that's the problem. But whether it's that problem or not, notice what these verses say. Here's a woman married to a man who probably doesn't respect her. He doesn't have any regard for what she's doing. And yet God tells this woman, like we've seen what Jesus did when he was mistreated, like we see what slaves do when they're mistreated, we see when people under the government are being put to death under the Roman Empire, they're being told to submit to those authorities and do what God says. I'll tell you, living a godly life is powerful. And if you don't learn that in your life, you don't realize that that, if you want to, I tell folks, I know how to control my wife. I can make her do just about anything I want to do. You know how I do it? I love her. I love her. When I love her and treat her the way I'm supposed to treat her, I can control her. And you know what? She knows how to control me. When I act ugly and silly, she keeps her mouth shut. And she just kind of sometimes does that to me, you know, and I know, oh, that was a dumb thing I did there, and I shouldn't have said that. And so I look at myself and it bothers me, and so then I want to apologize. I I said one time I picked her up, she picked me up at the airport and we're going home from from Louisville, Kentucky. I'd been gone a while. and we were going to go toward the house, and it was on a Friday night. I noticed my wife was all dressed up, and I, I didn't—I didn't think that she had some big plan. She said, "What do you want to do? Where do you want to go?" I said, "Well, I want to go home. I'm more out." So we start going down the road, and notice while we're going down the road, I can kind of tell something's wrong. She's looking out the window, and she's sniffing a little bit, you know, and those her eyes are getting red. So I thought I've done something wrong, and so I got to looking at it, and I realized we were just going by the Italian oven. That's where—I mean the. Uh, is that what, uh, uh, Italian oven? Is that what it's called? Well, a, uh, a, uh, olive garden, olive garden. And so we went by the olive garden. And so while we were going by that, I noticed that that, she just kind of looked that away, you know. Well, I went on down the road, and when there was the first place where I could turn around, I turned and started going back. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the olive garden. She said, you don't have to do that. I said, I know I don't. I want to. And so we're going to go to the olive garden and get something. To eat. So we drove in there, got out, went in there, sat down in the restaurant, and she reached across the table, and looked at me, and took my hand, and she said, you're the greatest husband in the world. And I said, that's just what I'm trying to be. But you see, I know how to control her and she knows how to control me. And it's not by being mouthy with each other, it's by living the right kind of life. And so Peter says when we can learn that the thing we need to do if we want to control somebody and have influence on them is we live right and we'll have an impact on them. That's the most powerful thing. The influence of your behavior is much more powerful than what you can do with your mouth. And when you can see what Peter's telling you, this is what a man will behold. He'll see that. He'll notice your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Why are you doing it? Because you fear God. You respect God. You're not doing it because He deserves it. I've said many times my wife Sometimes, I know I shouldn't tell this, but sometimes my wife has bad days. You know what I mean? And sometimes she'll be out of sorts and she'll say some things to me. And I can sense, and I can remember when my boys were younger, I'd tell them, boys, mom's having a bad time. Now, y'all get out in the backyard and leave her alone. If y'all make her mad, I'm going to tear you up. So y'all get out and leave her (laughs) alone. And so I would I would realize she was having, so I would go around and try to do everything I could to help her and make it better for her because she was having some kind of a problem. And so she she saw me doing that, and it helped her. But you know what the problem, that what I knew about that? Some days I have bad days. Some days I'm out of sorts. And she sees that in me. And so she would treat me a certain way because she saw I was out of sorts. That's the way you treat people. You live what you say you believe. And Peter says, when you do that, people will see you're doing it not because they deserve it, but because you fear God. And if you fear God and you do what God says, Peter says in verse 2, verse 3, while there be uh uh whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of hair, the wearing of gold, and putting on of apparel. And notice this, this verse in the American Standard says, not merely the outward adorning. You know, when you look back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, the twenty fourth chapter, and you find there when Abraham sent uh, his servant out to find a wife for Isaac, and he found Rebecca, it says she was very beautiful when he found her. But you know what he did, and down in verse—that's verse nine, verse twelve—says he gave her a nose jewel. Now we we don't want to promote that too much today, but people are into it. So. He gave her a big nose jewel, and he gave her bracelets for her. See, he adorned her. And you notice in Revelation twenty-one, verse three, the church is being is the bride of Christ, and it's being adorned uh, for the bride uh, for the for the groom. So here is a picture of the church being adorned. And so the Bible's not saying that you shouldn't adorn yourself. That's not what it's saying, ladies. Sarah was a beautiful woman. And so when you think about the fact that you just say, well, I'm just going to put my emphasis on the spiritual, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to use deodorant, I'm not going to wash my hair, I'm not going to brush my teeth, and and so I'm just going to be just an old plain Jane that doesn't do any of those things, you know. Well, let me tell you, that will have an impact on you, it'll have an impact on your husband. So, but it's not, it's saying don't put emphasis on that and forget what the real emphasis should be. You see, outward beauty. You know where outward beauty comes from? God gives some ladies a lot of beauty. If you know that, now I hate to say this, but not not all the ladies are as beautiful. As some of the others. Some ladies have got a lot more beauty. How did they get it? They didn't do it. They can't take no credit. God gave that to them. You can't act like you did that. You didn't do it. But what you need to understand is that glory and that beauty that is external is a fading glory. Now, just hang around a while, and you'll find out it's going to fade and you're going to lose what you had and you're going to lose what you put your confidence in. So what you want to do is realize there's some place else to put emphasis and Peter helps to see where that is. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not incorruptible, that it not corruptible, even the adorning of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Do you notice here that God says what God values? You notice men's preoccupation is the external beauty. Have you noticed that? Men notice the external beauty of women. But you know what God notices? You know what God pays attention to? He pays attention to the heart of a woman. The kind of personality the woman has. Because she's made up her mind. She's going to fear God. And she's going to be a meek. Here's somebody who is in control of themselves. And somebody who is quiet. They're not somebody, uh, you know, some of you old folks remember Phyllis Diller and Lucille Ball? Always loud and carrying on. Well, you know, that. That's the thing we don't want to see in a woman. And the Lord doesn't want to see that. The Lord values a woman that is controlled. And she watches herself. And she controls herself. She doesn't just let herself go and just fly off the handle and just let her mouth run. She doesn't do that. This is of great value, notice, in the sight of God. This is what God honors and God values. So if you want to be a godly woman, and you want to be a, a woman has something great value in God's sight, then you get control of yourself. You control yourself and behave yourself and show that you have a beauty that is inside. And that beauty, my friend, it will not fade and it will not tarnish. As a matter of fact, if you notice women that way, it gets brighter as they go. And they might be an old plain Jane. But women like that draw attention. I notice them everywhere I go. Those women really have beauty because they're taking the thing that really matters, you see, and becoming what God wants them to be. And I'll tell you, that's a challenge. Think about trying to be meek and quiet in the world we live in. The world is aggressive today. And you've got to defend yourself and stand up for your right. And something is wrong, you've got to let it be known. No. No. The Bible says this is what a woman should be. This is what God said, Even to a woman who's married to somebody who's probably not treating her right. That's what these verses are talking about. A woman whose husband is not probably being fair and equitable with her. He's not being the kind of man he ought to be. But now notice he says something else about that. He says in verse 5, For after this manner, in old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Notice here were women in, in times, old time, looking back in the Old Testament, and what did those women do? They put their trust in God. They rely upon what God said. They put their trust in God, and they adorned themselves in, in, in the kind of manner that God demanded these women to do, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed. That word literally means to pay attention to or to be submissive to. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's the word sir or master. Whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. You know what the challenge is for women? And I've seen this quite often in my own minds. I watch women and men that have marriage problems. Many times the woman is afraid. Uh, have you ever wondered why a deer is afraid? You ever those deers in the woods? They're afraid. You know why they're afraid? They're wild. They're wild. If you, My, my daddy, when I was a boy... We we had a deer that got hit by a car. We brought it in, doctored up, brought it in the house. And I know you shouldn't have brought the deer deer in the house, but it became a pet. Stayed in the house, and it be it just follows down the barn every winter it's like a dog. Just follows. It was no longer afraid. It, it it was under control and tamed, and so it wasn't afraid of losing or being in some way threatened in some way. And so if you get control of yourself and tame yourself down, and see there's nothing to be afraid of, and don't be afraid. Say, well, I'm afraid if I do that, he'll take advantage of me and do this. Don't you worry about that. Don't you be afraid. You do what God says. If you want to have influence and be the kind of person you should be, and find out what great influence you really have, you know, you look at the Proverbs and it shows a woman doesn't do what she does. It's painting a terrible picture of a woman because she doesn't do what she should. But when a woman does, in Proverbs 31, you see the great influence and the great impact because this woman has got herself involved in doing what God wants her to do. And so he tells us here, these women of old, just like Sarah, I've told this story about this phrase, Lord. I was in uh, Indiana years ago preaching this sermon, many years ago, uh, this text, and uh, uh, I got back to the back, and there was a man. I could tell he was one of these kind of guys. He always wanted to put his thumb down on his wife and get his heel up on her throat, and make sure she didn't get any any room, any space. He was watching every move she made, you know, trying to hold her down. And so he was standing by me, and she started coming up towards us, and she said, "Now," he said, "Now, honey." Did you hear the preacher tonight? And she said, Yes, honey, I heard the preacher. He said, Well, now he said you're supposed to call me Lord. And, you know, she kind of walked up there and she said, I know. I heard him say that, honey. And she said, When you act like one, I'll call you one. Well, But I'm going to tell you something about that. There needs to be some respectability. If you want to be respected, you've got to act respectable. But let me tell you, whether the husband does or not, ladies, that does not change what this is saying to you. You still need to see this is what God demands of you. I know it sounds unfair. I know it sounds unkind. But I want you to know that submission is universal. You're not some second class citizen. When you see, when you go through the Bible, see all the things that God has said in the Genesis account when man made the man and woman in Genesis 2 and verse, and, and, uh, Genesis 2 and verse uh, 16 when he made the man and the woman and made them and put the image, God stamped them with his image and made them his own image. He made them to be like God. And then we find in the second chapter, Genesis verse 7, He made them out of dust. So that means they didn't, they weren't just in the image of God. They also were physical and fleshly and they had that part of their nature. And so we see what made them significant was in the image of God. And they had this dust and they were going to return to it, the Bible says. And then we find in the second chapter, they got married. This marriage scene where God puts Adam to sleep. He looks around sees all the animals. There wasn't anything there for him. And so when he realized that, God put him to sleep. And he, he took the rib from Adam. And I've often said, you think about that, man. Why are women so different from us? We're made from dirt, and they're made from a rib. There's something different about our makeup. And if you don't know that, hang around a while. I I like to tell the story about going into a store years ago and finding a book. is about that thick. And the name of it was, All I Know About Women After 50 Years. Now, I was probably about 20 years old. I said, i got to have that book. I went over and grabbed that thing up, and I fanned through it. And I... I noticed every page was blank in it. I thought, well, what in the world? I said, I've got to go up to the counter and tell the old boy, to get one out and get the pages in it, you know. So I went up and I said, sir, I want to buy this book, but there, there, there's nothing in it. And the old boy said, son, you sure are naive, aren't you? I said, what do you mean? He said, the old boy's trying to tell you, after 50 years, you won't know anything about a woman. He said, you can't figure them out. Well, I'm going to tell you, my wife is like an elusive butterfly. By the time I think I've got her, she's moved off somewhere else, you know. And I'm trying to figure out now what's happening. And then something else happens. She's over there for a while. And I love that about her. I love that about women. They, they are a mystery to men. And you know what our job is? <clears throat> we're going to see in a moment. What, what Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 says, By wisdom a house is built, understanding it's established, and knowledge all the rooms are filled with pleasant and precious riches. You know what that means? These three terms, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, are levels of learning. You know what you should do to your wife, men, and ladies, what you should do to your husband? You should make them your study project. You should be studying them all the time, watching them and learning from them. And when you talk to them, look at them. Don't look at the television or read the newspaper. When you're talking to somebody, look at them, because you're probably doing something to hurt them. So you want to gain knowledge all the time, and you want to then have understanding, which is comprehension of it. And then you want to have wisdom. And I, I tell this story about years ago. My wife, her brother, uh, who was... Uh, Next to her in, the, in a line of nine children, uh, he had a defective heart when he was born, and so he had to go through several open heart surgeries. And on my thirty-third birthday, he died, and it just took my wife away. She lived in the projects. They had nine kids in there. Her and Mike shared a room until they were about nine or ten years old. And so when Mike died, it just killed Diane. And so we went back to Madison, and I would notice that I'd be it'd be lunchtime, i I look around, I couldn't find Diane. I'd go out, look in the yard. she wasn't out in the yard. She wasn't outside. I, I, I couldn't find her and I'd go back in the bedroom and all the lights were off and she was back in the bedroom and I'd go in there and turn the lights on and she'd be rubbing on the on the furniture like she was dusting the furniture. Now, I'm not very smart, but I know you don't dust furniture in the dark. So I thought, something's going on here. So I turned the lights on I'd take hold of her hand. I said, Shuggy, what's the matter? What's going on, baby girl? And she said, I'm thinking about Mike. I said, why don't you pack a couple of bags up and go down to your mama's and stay a couple of days with your mama?" And and work through that and see if that will help you a little bit. Maybe that will give you some strength. So she'd go down there. She'd stay a couple of days. She'd come back. She'd be okay. And she'd go along for about two or three months. And then it would come back on her again. And so i I know she'd be back there in the dark dusting again. And you know, I've said what most men would have done. Most men would have been, when it was lunchtime, you know, men say, Where's my wife? And I'm hungry. And they go back and say, Get out here and give me something to eat. That's all men think about. I want some work out of you. I want you to make me something to eat, and clean the dishes, and clean my clothes. And that's when I, I say those, those guys I meet in the third world country when they talk about getting a wife, they're looking for a woman who can who's pretty husky and can run pretty fast and carry buckets of water. And, and I said, you know what? You ought to marry a mule, old buddy. That's all you want a mule out of a woman. You want somebody to work to death. You know we need to see that the woman here's pictured as a weaker vessel, as not being like the man. And when the writer here tells us about this picture. Of how what men should be when they study their wife and then have the wisdom to know what is right. You know, wisdom is the ability to look at what you have and then to make some good sense so you can do some good with it. Some people have knowledge of the Bible. They don't the wisdom on it. They beat everybody up with it. And they never convert anybody. We need to know what the Bible says, comprehend what it says, and have the wisdom to know how to do something with it. And so when I helped Diane get through that problem, I, I learned as time went on that we were in our house. We were working, remodeling this house. We lived in Louisville. And I went and bought some four by 12-foot uh, sheets of drywall, uh, pretty thick stuff. And I said, baby girl, we're going to put this drywall up in the ceiling. We had a ceiling like that over there. And so I said, I'm going to get up on the top of the ladder up here and start up here. And you hold that end down there in, in the corner. And so we got it up and got over a hedge. And about time we went the first nail, she dropped her end and fell down and broke the... Drive on the floor, and I got down. So you okay? She said, Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I said, Well, you want to quit? She said, Oh, no, we'll try it again. So we got another sheet up there, and we finally got it up there. By the time I went to hit it, down it went again. And so this time I got down, and she was crying. And I went over to her, and I said, Baby girl, what's the matter? And 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 I got a hold of her arm. She came up there by me, and I, told her, and I was holding her arm, and I was going like that. I said, What's the matter, baby girl? And I started doing that, and I I, I thought, Well, I see what the trouble is. I didn't marry a mule. She's not like me, you see. When we can learn, my wife can't do what I... Have you noticed why men and women... I, I thought this year I watched the Olympics. I thought it looked like some of those guys, from, uh, women from other countries, looked to me like somebody got mixed up on what side of the fence they were on. Did you all notice that in the Olympics? Sometimes people get mixed up about where they are. But here's a picture where we need to realize the difference between men and women. That's why they don't mix them up in the Olympics because we're different. And when we can see that... You know, I, I said my wife and I bought a a, a tea pitcher up in... Boston years ago, and uh, we bought it because it was valuable to us, and, and we keep it in the in the dish set there in the in the kitchen, and uh, and she we only get out on our anniversary because it cost a lot of money, and she got two little bitty cups that went with it, and we will make on our anniversary we will drink some hot tea out of that and sit out in the backyard and we'll drink that and just kind of a special thing. Now when I go out in the garage and work on the car, she doesn't bring those little soft delicate. Uh, dishes out there, she brings an old Tupperware cup out there in the garage because I knock it off the car, and knock it around, bounce it around. But those other things are too fragile for that. If men can learn that women are fragile, and we need to handle them that way and think about that and realize we can hurt them and break their heart and do things that they just can't ever get over. So we need to learn to study and learn and know our mate, know what's in their heart, what's in their mind, what they're thinking about. And so Peter says to us, after he says about these women and what they did, he says, likewise, then in verse 7, he says, likewise, ye husbands. Now, here's the role of the man. Notice, there's six verses for a woman and one verse for the man. I've often said, God must think we are pretty dense, you know. He gives these six verses to a woman and one verse to a man. And listen to what he says to the man. Likewise, same way he started with women. We're talking about submission. You mean to tell me I should submit to my wife? Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. I should submit myself to everybody. When I see somebody, I should try to see what I can do to help them, lift them up. I shouldn't try to run over people and knock them down. I should try to see how I can lift other people up. And be concerned about them more than I'm concerned about you, To determine, I'm going to love God first. I'm going to love other people first. That means I'm going to put you before me. I'm going to put God before you. And I'm going to put you before me. And it's because I've made my mind up to do it. And I do it because I fear God. Not because people deserve it. Most often the people you have to lift up and think about above you are people who are trying to abuse you. People are trying to misuse you in some way. Just like in the this, in this text we're looking at here. But notice, it says, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now there you go. You've got to know your wife. You know in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 24 and verse 5, when a man got married it said, when a man had taken a new wife, he should not go out to war, he should not be charged with any business, but he should be free at home one year and cheer up his wife which he had taken. And I used to kid people and say, I wonder why she got depressed, she just got married. Well, it's not that she got depressed. It is that men don't know how to cheer women up. We don't know how to do it. And so what we've got to do, and the Old Testament showed, if you spend the first year, I tell young people getting married, if you spend the first year of your marriage figuring out how to make each other happy the first year, you always make sure the other person's bowls filled up first. You make sure they've got what they want first. When, when they I tell folks when I got married, I decided I was just going to do a lot of things like that. When my wife would watch television, we had some boys come along, and we'd be sitting in the house. One day we'd come in the house and we're watching a football game and uh, the boys were sitting there on the floor. We'd eaten popcorn and Coke cola and it was corn and cans all around the floor and her shoes off and all around. My wife came in there with a the vacuum cleaner. We were watching the ball game and she was running the vacuum. I was laying up on the floor with my hand up on my uh, arm like that. Well, she hit me with a vacuum cleaner. Well, I kind of looked at her to see if she would send me some kind of subliminal message <laughs> and, uh, and she just kept on vacuuming. So I thought, well, she did. She accidentally hit me. So I got my arm back up again. Well, then she got me again, you see. Now, I know this time that she knew I was in the same place, and she did that. So I jumped up. And I said, boys, look, we've made a mess here. I said, get up. Get your shoes up. I said, baby girl, give me that vacuum cleaner. I started running the vacuum cleaner. She jumped over on the couch and sat down, and she turned the channel over to the Waltons, and she started <laughs> watching the Waltons. Well, we cleaned it up. And we got back on the floor. I said, okay, Dad. Turn tell me. I said, no, son. I said, in this house, we watch what Mom wants to watch. I said, oh, come on, Dad. I said, no, no, leave it alone. Mom wants to watch a Walton. We're going to watch a Walton. She sat there for about four or five minutes and she looked at me and she smiled real big and she went back over to the ball game. But you see, I sent her a message and she sent me a message. You see what I'm saying? Uh, I knew that she would do because she loves me and she knew if I want to, I'd watch that. And I've said when I got married, I couldn't stand musicals. But now you know what I love to watch all the time? My wife always had, she gets to me and we sit and watch musicals all. I love them now because she loved them. And if you just determine what you're going to do is reach out to the other person and know and study and learn who they are and be the kind of person who will be what you're supposed to be. And if you start your marriage off doing that, let me tell you, every year, if you say, the first year when you've been married and you're trying to make each other happy for the first year, at the end of that first year, it's your first anniversary, i tell you what you're going to do. You're going to say, you know, this is so much fun. Let's do it again this year. And you're going to find out what you're going to do. Every year, you're going to find out things are going to get better because you're working at it. You're not just doing what you want to do. And so notice, Peter tells us, Husbands dwell, that word dwell means to see. It means to share. In other words, you you share the sundown. You share the sunrise. You share the living room. You share the bedroom. You share the kitchen. You look and you see life in every way. And you share life in that way. See life according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the weaker vessel. The word honor means to place value on. Uh, The word honor was a word of, of weighing gold and seeing the value of it, so we should. What we should do, man, we should honor. When your wife does something for you, you should say, "Well, that was an awful good meal." I've noticed this. I I learned when I first started preaching. I told this story about when I after I preached a sermon, I'd pull out of the parking lot and I kind of rear back in the car, and I thought I'd done a pretty good job, you know. I said, what'd you say about that sermon, baby girl?" And she said, oh, that was mighty good. You did a good job. And then we'd go home and she'd make dinner. And we'd get through eating dinner. She'd scoot the chair out from, from where she was sitting. She'd put her feet up in my chair and she'd go, ah. Oh. I said, oh, that was a good meal, baby girl. You did a good job. You see what I was doing? She was seeing what I needed. And then I'll just tell you what she did one time. I pulled out of there and I turned like that and I said, what did you think, baby girl? I said, She said, well, I don't know. I said, well, there sure are an awful lot of good gospel preachers in the world. She said, yeah, but there's one less than you think. (laughs) Sometimes you've got to have some true advice, you know. But here's a picture of people being told. Being told what to do and how to treat each other. And if it's right or wrong, whether you're being fairly treated or not, this is what you do. This is how you influence people to do what is right. And so the husband is to dwell with her, giving honor, place value on her, let her know. Our research has proven that women many times think about themselves, but what their husband thinks about them. If you run her down all the time, she's going to feel run down. She's going to think that's who she is. And so give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So here's a way to how, how can you enjoy the grace and the goodness of, and the kindness of what God has done in life. You do what the Bible says, and you do it, notice why, so that your prayers won't be hindered. Let me tell you what happened to me when I first obeyed the gospel, and my wife had obeyed the gospel shortly after that. I'd, I'd uh, come out the house one day, We, our first son was born, and so we were bringing the, the diaper bags and the baby and, and the Bibles and all that. Well, we got in the car, and, uh, and I looked up, and my wife had pulled the door shut and locked it, and I didn't have the car keys. I said, baby girl, did you lock the door? She said, yeah. I said, oh. I said, you shouldn't have done that now. Now the keys are inside. And I said, we're going to be late for church. And I don't. I said, I'll just have to take a brick out of the flower pot and bust the window out. So I busted the window and got in there. I came out and got the keys. I fussed at her all the way to the church building, about a mile and a half. I just kept saying, next time think about this. No, don't do something like that again. That didn't make any sense. And so I was talking the way through. I got in the building. We went up and sat down on about the second seat. And one of the elders stood up and said, Gary, would you lead us in a word of prayer? And I thought about what Peter had said. And I was a young Christian. I wasn't smart enough to know you're not supposed to tell the truth about everything. I said, no, sir, I can't. He said, what? Why not? I said, I fussed at my wife all the way to the building. I said, if I were to pray right now, God wouldn't pay a bit of attention to what I'm thinking. I said, would you please get somebody else to do it? You want God to hear your prayer? You want God to receive your worship? You want God to accept you? Let's make sure. Ladies, you button it up. Hush it up. Get a grip on your mouth. And husbands, you show honor to her. You value her. You encourage her. You get to know her. Spend your time knowing what you're doing. So she'll love you and you'll love her. She'll submit to you and you'll sacrifice everything. You know you can't love your wife too much. You ever thought about that? The Bible says you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm glad God told me that. I always work on that. I want to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. If you're here tonight, my friend... Can you see how the Lord loved the church? He used the marriage as a picture to show us the relationship between the church and us today. We can, we can look at in this picture we just saw and see it's a picture of how Jesus feels about the church. We are supposed to be loyal to Him and He's supposed to be the one who loves us and demonstrate that and He's done that. Now we need to submit to what He has to say. If you're here tonight you've never obeyed the gospel, you're not submitting to the Lord. We need to submit to him in everything. That's what the wife's told to do. If you're not need to respond in any way, once he comes, we'll sing the song.